Josh, would you pray um, for us and then kind of starting with, well, let's pray and we'll go to it then. Sounds good. Father, thank you for giving us another chance to talk about biblical counseling. Lord, I pray that this would be for your glory and would promote uh, righteous living and obedience to your word in our own lives. Lord, that we'd be a shining light to those around us and ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We, again, have way too much to cram into uh, 47 minutes, but Lord willing, um, Josh is going to share with us what biblical counseling is not. Would you say some things that maybe... Um, some caricatures. There we go. I don't know how to say that word, but that's exactly what Josh is going to talk about. And then we are also looking at 10 biblical passages, which probably has become 20, that sometimes seems like that we should camp on and it seems like um, other counseling disregards these in my mind. Just 10 that are really important that we can really trust and believe in and put our hope in that that sometimes cannot be emphasized. I don't believe enough. So we want to put an emphasis on those uh, today. Josh, start us with this idea of uh, um, the characters. Well, first I'll say I can't believe almost everybody came back. We, we tried to scare you away in week one, but you made it back. But here, here we go. Let's um, before I go into the caricatures, I want to talk a little bit about this idea called the uh, the theological pyramid. And so when we talk about counseling, we're we're talking about uh, our speech that is shaped by the Bible and is really informed by a worldview and. I think I'll put this in the group, me a picture of this diagram, but we're really, um, counseling kind of comes at the tail end or at the very tip or the top of this theological pyramid. The bottom, of course, would be the whole canon of scripture. And then you work one level up in this pyramid and you've got um, a proper hermeneutics from the biblical text, which leads to proper exegesis. And that builds into biblical theology, systematic theology. And at the very top of this pyramid would be practical theology. And our practical theology is informed by all of those other things. And I think in, in a lot of the counseling discussions today, you have people want to jump in right at the top without going through the proper um, the proper doctrines of scripture to build out that practical theology for life. And so uh, when we think through that, it helps us to not be, not use scripture haphazardly or incorrectly or applying a verse to a situation that that's not really what it's talking about in scripture. So we want to go through and use good hermeneutics um, and build on the whole canon of scripture and systematic theology, which will shape our practical theology. And that's not only going for biblical counseling, but every other form of counseling has a, a source of authority and information about how you, how you view man and view his problems and uh, the solution to those problems. And um, I just wanted to start with that. I'll put it in the group me. Any, any thoughts on that, Jerry? No, that's foundational, isn't it? Um, it Maybe coming back one step. One thing I don't think we talked about last week when we were talking about goals was we would love for people to become, can you tell us what ACBC, it's not the former rock band, is what I'm always, what, tell us what that is. And, uh, and we've got a few folks, Mary-Kate and uh, Miss Kraus. Josh is already a certified counselor in that. But what's the advantage of that for someone that might think about that and kind of tell us just a little bit about the process? I, we maybe could have even started there, but. Yeah, you, ACBC is the Association of Certified Biblical Counselors. It's a training group, if you will. There's, um, you know, standards of conduct and doctrine you have to adhere to. Uh, there's also curriculum you go through to be become a certified biblical counselor. I think the process can take as little as, you know, two to three years. May I think you can have up to five years, but um, all kinds of doctrine you have to learn and then applying that to, to counseling issues. There's, you know, the, the three different phases. I think you could talk to people in this room or come talk to me after on, on how that works. Yeah, and that would be, but that would be a, something fantastic that we would want um, our people to think about. And, and that's because we believe that all people need biblical counseling in what way, Josh? 
Like, because normally we wouldn't see. All people need biblical counseling. Maybe very few need to go to a licensed counselor. Is that the way you could say it? Yeah, I would say we're all disciples. We want to be, be growing disciples of the Lord Jesus and, and uh, discipling others to, to, to become more Christ-like. When I think about counseling, I think about an intensive discipleship, something that's very problem-focused or, you know, you take a life-dominating sin and counseling is really narrowing down into that issue uh, before you, you know, enter back into general discipleship of the local church. Yeah. So in that way, we all need that. We all want that. We all want to be discipled. We need that. Um, We need to be discipling others, right? We need a Timothy. We need a Barnabas, people uh, to encourage us. We need a Paul. Somebody to disciple us, and uh, and Papa does a a fantastic job of that. Uh, Miss Karen and Robin are doing a fantastic job of that with the the ladies. It's just something we really want to happen in our church. Um, to a, a continual deal. What would you say, Josh? Um, are some ways now? Um, what is it not? What is biblical counseling not that it sometimes? portrayed as. Yeah, so I'm going to just try and go through six caricatures or, uh, or what biblical counseling is not, but let me just start with a definition here of what it is. I know we talked about some of this last week, but just a quick definition. This is from Stuart Scott, who said, biblical counseling seeks to unlock the riches, the richness and wonders found in scripture and connect it to people's lives. Biblical counselors believe the scriptures have much to say about the full range of human experience. And the Bible has been given to us by God to make sense of our sin, our personhood, our life experience, a marvelous salvation through the person and work of Christ, and how all of this relates to life lived in God's world. The Bible speaks with accuracy, profundity, and acuteness to the issues of life. And, and we mentioned it's biblical counseling is not separate from discipleship. We can think about it as intensive discipleship and uh, the way we talk about problems in light of scripture. So here are some things that biblical counseling is not. Some caricatures, maybe some things you've heard of. And these are things that overall as a movement or as an approach to counseling, we want to avoid, but maybe we've fallen into these. Um, nobody's perfect. We want to avoid these even as we are all trying to grow as in our ability to counsel others. So here's the first one, and I'm calling it the pietistic approach. And this would be the approach of saying somebody tells you what's going on and you say, here, just take these two scriptures and call me in the morning. Just read these verses and your situation will be much better. Uh, Just think on this, just do this, just pray more. And anytime we say just do this, I think it shows we have a a, a simplistic understanding of people and their problems. how many, how many times has this happened to us? We, 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 we share something with somebody and we just feel misunderstood when we, when we jump too early for solutions without understanding the problem. So we want to avoid that. And we, we remember that Christ is long-suffering and compassionate with us. Um, and we want to be the same towards others. And isn't it true a lot of times we, when we share with people or when other people share with us, you know, it's just a small, a small snapshot of what's going on. And we want to wait and hear the full range of, of, of their story so we can make sense of it and not offer counsel that's um, premature or, or doesn't have all the facts taken into account. So we want to avoid pietistic, simplistic, not just dispensing Bible verses or, or, or quoting Bible verses at people. Um, any thoughts on that, Jerry? Yeah, I, I, when Josh sent these to me, I was convicting because I'm over six. I've done all six of these. So when you say, haven't people felt that, haven't you felt that when other people do it? It's like, no, I've been the main one that's done these six things. That, yeah. That's the problem. So uh, they, and the next five are, were convicting too. These are good. Yeah. And so uh, with that, I'm not saying we would in, avoid talking about the spiritual disciplines. I mean, that's one of God's means of grace for our lives. So we have to talk about those in, in prayer and, and, and meditating on scripture. I'm not minimizing those at all. I'm just saying we don't want to throw them at somebody and, and treat the Bible or, or treat God like a genie in the bottle, you know, just kind of uh, in, in a very rudimentary way. And you think the compassion that should go with that 
wouldn't you say Jesus in John 4 with the uh, Samaritan woman? Absolutely. You know, and just how he went um, about that with just such a great care for her and, and love for her. Right. That at the end, she was deeply loved, not just mm -hmm. also called out on her sin. Also called on her sin. It didn't minimize the, no. the real sin issue there. Yeah. Um, so here's sub point on, on the pietistic one. And uh, this is a freebie here. Biblical counseling is not on a sin hunt. You know, we're not trying to, to go on this deep hunt for, for people's sin. If they're, you know, we want to ask questions and engage and address and deal with sin issues and speak the truth in love. But we don't want to be like Job's friends and force a sin onto someone in order to explain. We want to uh, also deal with, you know, encouragement for suffering and trials. I think about 2 Corinthians 1, one of your favorite passages. Um, so, but even with suffering, sin is always crouching at the door. When, when wrong things are done to us, a lot of times our reactions can be sinful. So we want to be comprehensive in our uh, dealing and tr treatment with people. Good. Next one, uh, biblical counseling is not behavioristic. Uh, it's not just focusing on the externals or stopping or starting a certain behavior. This is not just about the way that we act, uh, not about behavior modification. We want to prioritize the gospel and, and true heart-driven change that um, emerges from how we understand the gospel message, our, our union with Christ, our hope in his death and, and resurrection, thankfulness in our hearts that, that promotes a true godliness from the inside out. Um, so biblical counseling doesn't leave out the gospel of Jesus Christ or you know, focus on just one element of the gospel like the facts and obligations or only our union or position or only our communion with Christ, we want to point to all of these elements. And at the end of the day, it's about worship of Jesus Christ and a pure, sincere, heartfelt devotion for, to him that will manifest itself in, in all of life. What did you say, Josh, there, you're turning with repentance, right? We're turning away from sin, 180 degrees turn toward Jesus. So there's kind of two parts to that. So if we just quit, uh, whatever, smoking, right? That's not the whole, there's still the gospel. They're still turning to Jesus. And, uh, and if you're just turning to Jesus without repentance for your sin, without getting rid of your sin, you're missing it too. Yeah, absolutely. And that reminds me of Thomas Chalmers. The, um, the titles just left me. Somebody help me. The, the, Patty, I think you know this one, right? Um, we, we, we have to worship our way out of sin. I've heard there Mark say, I think he's spot Good. on accurate. We need a strong, robust view of sin and what it is, the dangers. And when, when we engage in a repeated pattern of sin, what we're going to, you know, a well that doesn't satisfy. But we also need a big view of God and who, who Christ is, who we are in Christ, the glory of Christ, the, the, the full range of the attributes of God. I mean, these are all ripe for conversation with people stuck in sin. You, you know, when you're focused on a, a big God and when you think on who he is, uh, sin and, and those big thoughts of God can't dwell in the same heart. Right. Uh, so that was a great point. Um, so here's number three. Biblical counseling is not just practical strategies only. It's not just 10 steps to become a less anxious person or, or five things to do when you're feeling depressed. These things may have their place, but we don't want to miss out on the heart level issues and true and lasting change that will emerge from, from the inner man to the outer man. Um, you know, so often I think in counseling, we're looking for the quick fix and... Many times problems are a little bit deeper than just a quick fix and we need to rightly align our, our worship to God and, and engage our affections and, and what we live for and what we think on and what we go to bed thinking on and what we wake up thinking on. I mean, these really shape who we are. And so the quick fixes, um, not always there. <laughs> a change of thinking is probably not going to be overnight, is it? That's a, this is a sanctification that's happening in each of us continually. Yeah. So, is this where New Heart came in? Where did it five minute? 
stop it. Oh, new that was uh, number two. That was number two. The behavioristic okay. just stop Good. it. So if you're used to watching New Heart, Miss Elizabeth, and that's just there's more to it than that. Stop it. Yeah. You sometimes need to go we watch do, that. though. I mean, sometimes we do just no, need to stop No, it. I... Yeah, there we, is, we, yes. But there is the more to it. Right? Okay, good. Um, all right, that was three. Here is the fourth one. Um, this one maybe we'll spend more time on in, in the future. But the fourth one, I think a big uh, maybe caricature for biblical counseling is that it ignores or discounts medical or scientific data. Mm. And we had many conversations on this with people. We could talk about it for a long time. I'd, if you have questions, I'd love to talk with you more. But we're not saying that we ignore or discount true medical or scientific data. And uh, we, we, we don't ignore or seek to remedy true and proven medical issues. Um, so biblical counseling, we, we'd understand as a, you know, on an anthro apology level, like what is the human person? The Bible would say we're comprised of the inner man and the outer man, and they're in constant interplay with one another. Even on just a basic level, you think about when you don't get enough sleep, you know, how, how that tends to impact you, and it's you're, we're quicker to sin often, and it can play a strong influence on us. You throw in diet, you throw in all kinds of other things that we may understand or not understand. The outer man and inter, inner man are in constant interplay with one another and influencing one another. And so as biblical counselors, I think we have to reckon with this and deal with this and talk through this with people. <clears throat> Any you, thoughts on that, Jerry? Yeah, you gave us an example the other day about somebody that might be anorexic. Yeah. And how might that kind of play play into something like this? Number four here. Yeah, yeah. So I... Was spent a year as a school counselor, and I think I was blown away at the the just younger girls and anorexia and and thinking about food and their relationship with food, and how important it is to work with a a physician who can think through those things alongside the spiritual connections that I, I mentioned a little bit last week of of you know there could be um, things with control. Uh, wanting to gain parents' approval. I mean, there's a whole range of reasons why that I think a, an older, wiser woman coming alongside a, a, a daughter or, or somebody like in, in this scenario is essential. But the physician is going to be able to give advice on how many calories to eat. You know, if a girl goes from 110 pounds to 85, the counselor is not going to know exactly, you know, the diet and things like that. And we, do, we wouldn't claim to. And we wouldn't want to step in that area, but we do want to be engaged and involved with the spiritual things that yep. could be going on and what's going on in the heart. What, what is she thinking? How does she, um, you know, it could be something that happened in her past, you know, a serious, serious thing that she doesn't know how to process. And this is one way uh, to process it. There could be issues with her peers, you know, and you, you know, you can extrapolate that to all kinds of things and, to all kinds of people. I think what we'll come to in a second is to say all of us all day long are dealing with sin, right? That's It's it's never going to take a day off. The indwelling sin that we have is always active. And so whether that, that might be a little bit more apparent and maybe the girl you're talking about that's struggling with something that's uh, become, but, you know, those of us that are looking find on the outside there's sin bad on us too and you mentioned the genesis 4 7 is that sin is always at our door and uh and you know ready to pounce and so man can't be too careful there that's good yeah so we, we we're not ignoring or discounting medical or scientific <clears throat> things we, we recognize the interplay of inner man outer man um jerry should we move on there yep all right I think we're on number five. Biblical counseling is not uncaring. And we want to be very considerate when someone is uh, talking about the, the fine china of their life and uh, the really messy or difficult things. We want to be sensitive in how we r respond. And uh, this is kind of going along with the first one. We need to refrain from giving counsel before we, we understand. Um, 
you know, and we may know exactly what needs to be done. We may be thinking about all the, the ways Scripture applies to a situation, but sometimes that needs to come out in doses, you know, and uh, we wouldn't want to just say, hey, this is everything you need to do. Thanks for sharing your whole story and everything. Got to go do this. Um, obviously, we would want to avoid that and um, not be harsh or legalistic or 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 quick to speak or angry. Um, I think active listening, we do with our whole posture, our eyes, our, our body language, and we ask, you know, good follow-up questions that are related. We, we're, we're quick to say we don't understand when we don't understand, um, you know, a lot of common sense here, but this is, these are the kinds of things, the kinds of people we ought to be because Christ has been this way to us. Um, but also I think, um, it's easy to be on. I think another way we can be uncaring is when we withhold the truth from somebody. Oh, for sure. And when there's um, ways that they may need to be exhorted or corrected or rebuked, uh, when somebody's going down a, a wrong path and we refrain the truth, I think it shows a, a level of uncaringness. Um, it's, it's all about speaking the truth in love. You know, we want to not withhold the truth. We don't want to just say it super harshly. We want to be loving and kind and make sure we're telling the truth uh, and pointing people to Christ. Those of you that know Josh know that this is an area I'd be get a little emotional if I talk too long about this. He is really, really good at this. And um, just being very um, caring and a good listener. And don't you think, Josh, it's just a lot of humility if we're going to be a good biblical counselor, it's going to take a lot of uh, humility, thinking of others ahead of ourselves. Absolutely. And, you know, asking the questions, those kind of things that yeah. we would rather talk about ourselves sometimes, mm -hmm. but that's just not going to always be the, the way to really minister to somebody. That's right. Yeah, Philippians 2, and you modeled it for us all, Jerry. You, you, you ask about things that that you heard six months ago and you remember things. And that's, I think as counselors, we, we communicate a lot by remembering the details and mm. putting others' interests first. Um, spe on speaking the truth in love, I had a professor say it's like when he was a kid, his mom used to give him this big chalky pill. You know, every time he got sick, big old thing, he hated it, he dreaded it. And it just was so hard to go down. Uh, but she would a lot of times cover it in uh, jam. And he'd take it with a spoon and so that it would go down a lot easier. That's, I thought it was just a helpful metaphor with speaking the truth in love. We don't withhold the truth, what, what can help, but we also want to say it in the way that it can be taken and received. We don't want to be the barrier of the truth, you know, because mm -hmm. we're saying it in a way that you know, we're being a jerk or something. Mm -hmm. um, all right, and the last one here is, is biblical counseling is not a a catch-all remedy. It's not the answer to every problem. And um, I, one professor told a story of a guy who was, uh, you know, well, well overweight. Um, this guy came to him and they worked together for six months. They focused on all the right truths, um, idolatry and, and gluttony and the desire for comfort and feeling good. And so they were thinking about this um, very biblically and putting off old sin patterns and putting on new. Um, but he also needed help from a, from a dietitian, and that was just help he couldn't get from a biblical counselor. And so I think the guy ended up um, going on to lose a bunch of weight or whatever. So we, we want to, I, mean, I mentioned it earlier, we want to, where things that fall outside the sphere of biblical counseling, um, you know, not try and speak where we're not equipped and that, you know, we want to speak on scriptural things. And that pertains to all of life in suffering and, and sin issues. So that was number six. That's all, that's all I got on those. All righty. Well, 10 things that oftentimes may be neglected um, by counselors. And we don't want to neglect these scriptural um, truths here. And uh, Lord willing, we can post these on the Zach Petty um, posting fun. What's that thing called? Yep, that's what I was talking about. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. We looked at this the other day. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and in training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, 
equipped for every good work. Um, NIV is to say thoroughly equipped. And I love that, right? God's word thoroughly equips us. That's what it says. That's what we believe. It's God breathed. Why would we trade God's word for man's ideas, right? That's what, and isn't that, Josh, what integrative counseling, if we call it that, is trying to integrate some of man's thoughts into what God has given us, and we're just saying there's no need for that. Right. Is that right? That's exactly right. And so God knows what we need, and then he gives four ways here that God's, that Scripture's going to do surgery on us. It's profitable for what? For teaching. We need teaching. We need reproof, right? I got to have somebody to say, hey, quit that. Right? God's word's going to be what does that for correction, to correct us, to point us back in the right direction, and to train us in righteousness. And so these are four ways Scripture does surgery, and God knows this is what I love about this. And as Judge is talking about this, God's word, the Holy Spirit is the one who uses his word. So God, as our heavenly Father, he disciplines. Papa's really good on this. Get Papa's ear on this one. He disciplines us as we need it, right? And he's a perfect heavenly father. He never over-disciplines or over, ever under-disciplines. He always disciplines in the perfect way. And he uses his word to do that. And we all need it. We all need it continually. Um, and so I just think we cannot miss out on that. So counselors sometimes just want people to feel better, right? But God's not, that his goal isn't after that. God's after sanctification. And, uh, and that's entirely different. Sometimes sanctification is a little painful. But any comments there on, on that? I'm glad you said it. There, there's so much of counseling that is just focused on feeling better and functioning better. You know, that's the end goal is, do we feel better about our life or a situation is, are we functioning better? And sometimes God brings trials into our life that don't feel so good. And his goal is that we would become more Christ-like. Yeah. And that is, that should be our goal as biblical counselors. Good. Three uh, here about God's word to start us off and uh, kind of in continuation from last time. So it's not just being pragmatic. Number two, Joshua one, seven, and eight. My, when I was 12, I remember these being my very favorite. Only be strong and very courageous, being careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn it to the, from the right hand or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. The book, This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night. Meditate. I don't know that we're very good meditators. I'm not a very good meditator. Right? We're not in a meditative society, if you say it like that. Right? We want stuff quick, meditating, so that you may be careful to do according to all that's written in it, for, you will, for then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. So we need to meditate on God's word. That's going to be a big, big part of changing, changing the way we think, changing what we say, changing how we act is going to be meditating on the Lord. And it's day and night, Psalm 1. Um, this passage in, uh, in Joshua, any thoughts on that, Josh? Yeah, you said it well. What we think on will shape our course of life. And what, what our mind dwells on repeatedly directs our behavior and our speech and our actions. And I think we should probably all make a bigger deal of what we meditate yeah. on in our thought life and filling our thoughts with with good things, things that are honorable and uh, noble and all the other things from Philippians 4. I yeah. can't remember right and now. No, we're coming to that. And that's that. And this thing, how many days have I spent instead of invested by meditating on the wrong thing? Like something kind of consumes my thinking that's not very biblical and it might just be our circumstances. But we meditate on God's word. And, uh, and it, it promises that it'll do bring great success. Again, that doesn't mean more money, happier life, whatever. It just means that we'll grow, grow and be more like Christ. Number three, Hebrews 4.12, looked at it last week for a second. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword, two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, discerning the thoughts and intentions 
of the heart. Again, God's the perfect surgeon who uses his word as a scalpel, doesn't he? And Josh, could you tell us, and we'll come to this more next week, but he uses his word, he uses his Holy Spirit, and he uses the church, right? And, and we would believe that, that those three things are God's primary tool to um, counsel people, if you will. Yeah, so we've got the, the world, the flesh and the devil working against us. And then on the other side, we've got the word of God, we've got the Holy Spirit, and we've got the church um, to promote holiness. I, I agree with that. Yeah. So we didn't think the, the therapeutic method or whatever we're calling anything outside of biblical counseling, it's like having a little toy scalpel or maybe a chainsaw worse yet, you know, and doing surgery. That's not the way you use Right, God's word's perfect in the way we do that. So um, what we really think or say, you know, sometimes situate, would we really think or say that situations are really too complicated or too tricky? Uh, I, if someone said that to me the other day, it's like this isn't for something that, um, you know, a biblical counselor, we're going to need a real professional, you know, to take care of that. And that, and that would be to say that God's really not capable, right? It's not really sufficient. We need to go to some repertoire tricks that somebody else has uh, to figure this out. And, and uh, that, doesn't seem, that doesn't seem logical nor biblical. Number four, 2 Peter 1, 3 and 4. And Josh, this has got to be one that you've uh, camped on. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. All things. This for the first time got me really excited uh, just this week. The all things here, I believe, are the same all things as we see in Scripture in other places. So his divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. So through God's word and his son, he's given all we need for life and godliness, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in this world because of all sinful desires. So boy, you think about the great and precious promises. How about Romans 8, 28? Once again, using that word, all things, all things. We know that for those who love God, all things work together for good to those who are called according to his purpose. How about verse 32, same chapter, Romans 8. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also graciously give us all things? How about Matthew 6, But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all of these things. Remember, what does Jesus say about being anxious there? He says, do not be anxious, do not be anxious, do not be anxious. Three times in that passage in Romans 6. But it wasn't just a quick fix. It wasn't just quit it. What do he say? Do not be anxious, but what? Consider the birds. Consider the lilies. You know, he, 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 he said, don't do this. Instead, do this. Consider who I am. Consider what I do. And so I love that, that, that these, like I, I imagine there's a dozen more maybe in Scripture that I, I hadn't thought about. That, but these all things, everything we need for life and godliness, everything to make us more like Jesus, that is what the believer is guaranteed of. And so those are the kind of things that we need to meditate on. When we're talking about meditating, those are the great and precious promises that God's using. What do you think, Josh? Yeah, the verse doesn't say his divine power is granted to us some things that pertain to, pertain to life and That's godliness or, or most things or pretty a lot of things, but it's yeah, all, all things, things that pertain to life and godliness, which is what we should care about uh, most deeply. Um, the things that God has revealed that pertain to life and godliness. Yep. And it's probably going to take, for me, it means I'm going to have to live by faith and not by sight because it sometimes doesn't look like it. Right? But that's what we believe. We believe scripture for number five. Philippians 3, 13 and 14. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own. But one thing I do, when Paul says there's one thing he does, I want to know what that is. Because I want to do it too. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind 
and straining forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal of the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. So I think we need to learn. Josh, kind of help us here. We need to learn from the past, right? But it's not biblical to stay there. Yeah, I think there's a movement or maybe a trend or can be to like go back and search out your past to figure out what's wrong with you today. And I think the past can greatly shape us and influence us, but I would not say it has to define us. Mm -mm. And we want to be defined by who we are in Christ. So I think it's important, but it doesn't have to dominate the whole counseling conversation. Boy, and if it did, is it not logical a little bit? And again, very biblical to say both scripture and common sense would convince us that we can't change the past. Right. Right. That's done. So I think we don't want to just always cry over spilled milk. Instead, we got bigger fish to fry. Right. Tomorrow's coming. That's what we need to be more concerned about. Is that is that not that seems just like we have to go there. I agree with you. And a lot of times our memory or the way we've interpreted the past is fallible. Like we can sometimes oh. get it wrong. And a lot of it's easy to, to maximize what other people have done and, and minimize what's been done to us. And you can easily form a, a narrative or an identity based on the past that might not be true to reality. What you're saying is maybe not even helpful. And we've got other more forward future things to attend to with our with our thinking. Yep. Someone told me they had a standing appointment with a counselor once a week. They got together with them every Tuesday and they were still talking about for it been a long time now stuff that's happened in the past. I want to say, oh boy, we got to move on sometime here. I, I think I've told you this uh, story about the deacon dad. Uh, well, he wasn't a deacon anymore when I knew him at, at um, uh, Surfside Prez in South Carolina. He was really struggling and he would always go back and, and we'd meet with him. He'd always go back and our pastor would meet with him too. He'd say, but I was a deacon in 1989. Right, and this is 1990, oh boy, about seven. And I wanted to say, brother, we're going to have to, okay, I know you were a deacon in 1989. You've told me that now for weeks. But today's 1997, and we've got to move past this, right? And cert- and it was just one of the saddest things because a year or two later, he drank himself to death and uh, on the front porch. And I just thought, oh, no, you just need to move on, right? You got to be concerned about what's going on today. Do I trust Christ today? Am I going forward? Standing um, appointment with something that's going to be from along, you know, it, it doesn't have to be. Tell us, Josh, why counseling or let's say what we're looking at you're graduating people when you're meeting with them. You're, you're trying to get them to be discipled, but you're not going to plan on meeting with them for an hour and a half, or I mean a year and a half. Might right. be them an hour and a half, but not a year and a half. Right. And, and tell us why that is, because I keep hearing this too, modern day, I think, thinking is that, oh, it's going to take a long process. Right, I was way messed up by my mom when I was seven, and now I'm not going to be able to get over this for a long time. Right, absolutely. Yeah, so there's certainly complex issues to take time. But there's also, if you're meeting with somebody, the goal is to graduate or finish counseling. We want to move out, and some of the things I think are important to look for when you graduate a counselee or, or finish counseling with somebody is, the, the presenting problem that they came in now, are they, are they able to self-counsel now once they leave? Like if the same problem were to spring back up in six months, can Good. they counsel themselves through it with the right truths and interpret the problem biblically, see where the worship has gotten misaligned or where um, their mind needs to be renewed or they're thinking wrong thoughts that need to be put off and they need to properly think right thoughts to be put on. And then let's say somebody else came to them with the same issue, could they now counsel Good. that person? And so we're, we're constantly becoming better disciplers. And, and I, I don't think it has to be uh, a, a three-year rolling meeting to just rehash the same stuff because we want to be doers of the word ultimately. There you go. That's good. Not just hearing the word doers. Well, Josh is all t- talking at 2 Corinthians 1, 
right? Three and four, where the reason that God comforts us is what? So that we can comfort others. There's other reasons, but that should be going on. And, uh, and so, and that's not saying they don't need disciples, right? Again, we'll send them right to Papa and he'll disciple them and they will grow and it'll be, um, that's, that's what we're looking for. Philippians uh, 4, 8. We talked about this uh, a little bit earlier. This is number six. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence in there, if anything's worthy of praise, think about such things. So there we have a real um, kind of a sieve that we know it, if it doesn't fit one of these things, just quit thinking about it. Now, again, that's not that easy. I understand that. But I've got to kind of do a little bit of inventory of what I'm thinking about and saying, does it, does it fit here? Is it true? Is it honorable? Is it just? Is it pure? And sometimes I, I, I lollygag too long. And a couple of days later, I say, I think I'm thinking about some things that aren't true. So many issues come from unbiblical thinking. Second Corinthians 10, 5. We destroy arguments and every lofty option, opinion raised against the knowledge of God. And, and this is a common statement, but it's just so huge. And we take every thought captive to the obedience of, of Christ. Papa sent this uh, this morning from Piper. Many of us have become too passive in our pursuit of change and wholeness and peace. Um, I have the feeling that in our therapeutic age, we have fallen into the passive mindset of simply talking through our problems or dealing with our issues or discovering the roots of our brokenness in our family origin. But I see a much more aggressive, non-passive approach to change in the New Testament. Namely, set your, uh, set your mind, set your mind on things that are above, not on earthly things, Colossians straight to. Our emotions are governed in a large measure by what we consider what we dwell on with our minds. For example, Jesus told us to overcome the emotion of anxiety by what we consider. Consider the ravens, consider the lilies. Luke 12, the mind of the uh, window of the heart. If we let our minds constantly dwell on the dark, the heart will feel dark. And if we open up the window of our mind to the light, the heart will feel the light. Hebrews 12, 3. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. Josh, any thoughts on, on number six there? Thinking, what do we consider? Um, got some things there? Sadly, I've got nothing to add. All right, Romans 3. And um, we, have plenty, we have talked about this plenty, but how important is it to remember that we have indwelling sin? It's just we do. It's after us. Three quick passages, Romans 3, 10 through 12. As it is written, none is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. That's where we started before the Lord changed us. Jeremiah 17, 9, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? I find this as devastating as any of these passages. Romans 8, 7 and 8. For the mind that is set on the flesh, four things. Listen to these four things that characterize the unbeliever. They're hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. There's a hostility toward God. They can't submit to God's law. They don't. They don't and they can't. And then um, they cannot please God. Now, when we become believers, we're no longer slaves to sin, right? Romans 6. Now we're slaves to righteousness. But that doesn't mean Romans 7 would say, I do what I don't want to do, what I don't want to do, I do. Right? It's still after us. It's still there. So if there is anything we should have learned, it's that we're not only part of the, that is that um, I'm not only part of the problem, but I'm a bigger part of the problem than I even realize. Right? And with guys, anytime we're in marriage counseling, we do the 60% rule. We talked about it the other day. If I think my wife is 80% of the problem, I'm also, I, I subtract 60. And then I'm probably more accurate. Right? I've just got to realize that I'm always going to think, because of my indwelling sin, I'm always going to think I'm better than I am. I'm really not going to think I'm the biggest part of the problem. But we are. 
oftentimes we've just got to go back and say, uh, it's we're too easily deceived. So out of the gate, we need to remember that we're not basically good. If we just put it in neutral, we're not going to thrive. We can't be passive. We've got to be aggressive. Josh, anything there? Nothing to add. 1 Corinthians 10, 13, number 8. No temptation has overtaken you that it's not common to man. Now listen to this. This, to me, is such a thrilling verse. Three great words here. God is faithful. God is faithful. I just think in counseling, this is huge. We have to remember God is faithful. He will not let us be tempted beyond your ability, but with that temptation, he will provide a way of escape that you may be able to endure it. So I don't even know that addiction is really the right word because those that would be addiction, we normally think that they can't get out, right? But for the believer, God has given us a way of escape. Is that right? Absolutely. So, um, you know, I think recently it's become that we hear like people have been diagnosed with depression. It's almost like having diabetes, you know? Like it comes upon you and they can't get out of it. But, okay, are they depressed? I would say absolutely. We all fight with that. Right? Don't we? But that doesn't mean that depression came on you like the chicken pox. Are we poxy? Yeah, probably. Do we have the chicken pox? No, that's not. It's a different deal. It's not come upon you where you can't get out of it as a believer. Chemical imbalance. Josh, could you talk about that for a second? Yeah, I plan to spend more time talking about this next week, like the difference in how the DSM, and we'll go through it all, the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders is kind of the, the how people are given these diagnoses like depression. There's many categories, and we could spend a whole time on that as well. But, you know, there's a difference in the, the, the categories that are based on just observations that happen over time versus something you look at under a a microscope or an x-ray or a blood scan. So we, we, I think, at least have to make that distinction. Um, but you asked about the chemical imbalance theory, and I was looking at it again today. It, it's, uh, it's been debunked a long time ago. And I was looking at uh, psychology today, which is more of a pop psychology um, um, resource or website, and th- three different articles mentioned it. it, it uh, it's not... A helpful theory. It's a theory that's not even backed up by research at this point. There are other theories that people are starting to put forth based on the etiology uh, would be the medical term or the, the origin or how, how this um, diagnosis comes about or how people even get depressed. But I think it, um, it gained so much traction because it was a useful explanation and it, it didn't place the blame on anybody and nobody had to take responsibility for maybe they contributed to their own depression. Mm-hmm. So if I try to use that later on this afternoon, it's no longer effective? I'm going to say, Uh-oh. sorry. <laughs> there goes that. There goes that plan. Number nine, 2 Corinthians 12, 9 and 10. But he said to me, I love this. How great is this? God's promise to Paul here, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly on my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest on me. For the sake of Christ, then I am content with weakness, insult, hardships, persecution, and calamities. We need to be content with those things, right? Those aren't things that should necessarily drive us to um, uh, something unbiblical, but to have a contentness there. Why? For when I am weak, then I am strong. Somebody helped me with this just this morning. I thought it was really neat. Second Corinthians four sixteen through eighteen, and uh, been one of uh, a passage that has oh helped so many times uh, in my life. But listen to verse sixteen. So we do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting our way. Our inner self is being renewed day by day. God is faithful day by day to renew um, our inner self. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal way to glory beyond all comparison as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. And number 10, Ephesians 4 31 and 32. I think this is huge because 
it seems to me like there's a, a movement to not be as quick to forgive, like that we might have a little bit of a, that we don't really have to forgive if somebody's really wronged us badly. It's kind of an, op, forgiveness is optional. I don't think so. For the believer scripturally, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, and what? Forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. So what's the reason we forgive is because Christ has forgiven us. Remember that parable where the man was forgiven much, the man sinned against him a little, and he wouldn't forgive him, right? And that's what that parable is about. So it seems as though sometimes there's this idea that uh, somebody might be kind of unhappy if you suggest that they should forgive, but forgiving is what we need to do. Hebrews 12, 15, see to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble. And by it, many have become defiled. Let me ask you just to take a minute before we pray and think about this to say, could it be right now there's somebody in your life that you haven't maybe completely forgiven? A little bit of a root of bitterness. I'd like you to ask you to do a little spiritual inventory and to just say, maybe I just need to say, wait a second here. Did they offend me? Absolutely. Did they wrong me, Joseph, with his brothers? What you meant for evil, God meant for good type of deal. So I'll give you a second and then I'll close this. Let's pray. Father, we're overwhelmed with the scripture that comforts us and brings us great joy. You are faithful and you have done uh, the work, all that we need for life and godliness through your son, through your word, you've given it to us. And Lord, I pray that we would be faithful, that we would be faithful to counsel others, to love others um, as you have loved us. And uh, Lord, we pray that we would be quick to, um, as Josh challenged us, um, speak the truth in love. Um, and Lord, certainly probably all of us have missed it on both sides. Sometimes we haven't been as truthful as we needed to. Uh, other times we haven't been loving as we needed to. Um, but we ask, Lord, that we would be faithful um, in the way that we counsel and that we would do it biblically and that we would trust your word, that uh, your word as our authority um, will do great surgery um, on our hearts. Lord, convince us of um, the battle that we need to fight uh, each day, even with our indwelling sin, uh, and help us to, uh, to kill sin um, um, before it kills us. And Lord, we're so grateful for this opportunity uh, to come today and to talk about things 